So releasing has never been something that I've done a lot, let's say. And being a developer advocate is definitely even less on my plate these days because you do lots of projects, you put them on GitHub and then you write a tutorial. <laughs> this is the new way of delivering content. Mm. <laughs> so I am here, I guess, to ask more questions about what is new in releasing for those people who actually do use this a lot. Mm. So Carlos, when you were convincing Johnny to use this, I was also on the being convinced side. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got your work cut out for you, Carlos. <laughs> big thanks to our partners Linode Fastly and LaunchDarkly we love Linode they keep it fast and simple check them out at linode.com slash changelog our bandwidth is provided by Fastly learn more at fastly.com and get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly get a demo at launchdarkly.com what's up gophers our friends over gravitational made a big transition at the end of 2020 to rebrand as teleport and shared a new product announcement to showcase the direction they're taking teleport is operating from a vision of being able to run and access software anywhere in a secure and compliant manner something they call environment free computing with teleport engineering teams can quickly access any resource anywhere using a unified access plane that consolidates access controls and auditing across all environments, infrastructure, applications, as well as data. Teleport server access lets you SSH securely into Linux servers and smart devices with a complete audit trail. Teleport Kubernetes access lets you access Kubernetes clusters securely with complete visibility to access and behavior. And finally, Teleport application access lets you access web apps running behind NAT and firewalls with security and compliance. Try Teleport today in the cloud, self-hosted, or open source. Head to GoTeleport.com to learn more and get started. Again, GoTeleport.com. Welcome to Go Time, your source for diverse discussions from around the Go community. We have some excellent episodes coming your way soon. Everything from testing to startups to crafting your GopherCon proposals and much more. Subscribe now if you haven't at GoTime.fm or in your favorite podcast app. Just search for Go Time, you'll find us. Okay, let's do this. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Go Time. I'm Matt Ryer and today we're talking about releasing. We talk a lot about reading and writing code, but there's nothing better really than actually getting your thing in a real user's hand so that they can use it. It's kind of the point of why we're doing this. So in order to get it to them, we have to release it. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm joined by, you won't believe it, Johnny Borsico. Hello, Johnny. Ooh. Hello, mate. <laughs> How's it going? Good. I just realized that you're the only person I get to uh, call mate. Like, yeah. you know, whenever going to show, I'm like, yeah, I feel like saying mate. Hello, mate. How you doing? Yeah, mate? you should. I like it. I mean, you should be more friends with more pirates, probably. Probably. Because they're, they're always at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're also joined by Natalie Pistanovich. Hello, Natalie. Welcome back. Thank you. Hi. Welcome. How have you been? What have you been up to? 
Um, keeping my office cold, as we talked about, because I really <laughs> like uh, working in a colder temperature and I'm enjoying the yeah. last few days of the cold weather. So yeah. mainly I've been enjoying some snow and a lot of freezing. Oh, wow. But not when it comes to code, right? Code freezing is the opposite of releasing. That's not what we're here for today. <laughs> that's right. That's the opposite. <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, I hope you can stay warm. I can see you've got your scarf on, which I have no problem with. Well, we're also joined by the creator of Go Releaser, Carlos Becker is with us. Hello, Carlos. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show and thanks for Go Releaser, something that I use every day. For anybody not familiar with it, maybe you could just give a quick overview. What is it? Oh, basically, a tool that builds your Go projects to whatever, like, whatever Go S, Go Arch and everything uh, combinations you want and creates Linux packages, uh, homebrew, app recipes, or whatever the name is. Also, snap packages for Linux, bad RPM, APK, Docker images, and pushes to S3 and whatever other thing you want to basically. And yeah, I think that's a, a good wrap up. Hmm. Yeah, I use it when I have a Go tool. I use Go Releaser to, it does the builds for me for all the targets that I want. I just specify in a config file. Um, and it pushes it also up to GitHub for me so that it creates the release in GitHub and it includes the change log and things like that. Yeah. yeah, if you're building tools that you release in that way, it's a great choice. Yeah, Johnny, have you ever used Go Releaser or tools like it? No, I haven't. I've heard so much about it mm. and I'm really wanted to come on the show for Carlos to convince me that I need that in my life. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Let's see if that happens. Yeah, I can try to convince you the same way I convinced myself to write it actually because I didn't want to keep more shell scripts all over the place. So, yeah, it's a YAML file, so but okay, at least you don't have to copy paste a lot of shell scripts. Mm. And Johnny, you love YAML, don't you? I love, let me tell you, I yeah. love yeah. YAML. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is a treat every day. I love yes. YAML. Sounds yeah. ironic. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Sarcasm's not Johnny's style. Uh, we can take from that that he truly loves YAML. Um, so let's talk generally about releasing then. What kinds of processes are there for it? The simplest one, of course, is just manual releasing, which, to be honest, I'll do for as long as I can. I quite like just running a script deliberately to do a release, you know, especially in the early days of a project. How do people feel about manual releasing like that? Do you feel like automating is something you should do early? Well, before you answer, Carlos, I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm coming at this from the right reference point, right? Let's frame this discussion a little bit. So... What we're talking about is sort of a, you have your Go project and you want to get it in the hands of, of people, right? In the form of the binary, right? The end, the end result, right? Maybe you want to distribute it with a homebrew or, or APM or whatever. So you, you need to get that executable, that project in the hands of, of folks, right? So is that different? Does it solve a different problem than when I'm packaging up my application? Maybe I have a service that I'm deploying somewhere. Um, that's going to interact with a bunch of other services. Maybe I'm using, you know, a containerization technology and maybe I'm using an orchestration tool. Maybe I'm like in that environment, right? Like, is that like what kind of releasing are we talking about? I guess is, is, is where I want us to start. 
I think it's more about uh, tools, about like web services, for example, uh, like, like you were saying. Uh, I feel like at least the projects I work on, I don't usually like create tags for every release because usually they have like a lot of releases every day. Release meaning pushing uh, something to production. So the commit hash is pretty much the release, if you, if you will. So basically just build, create a Docker image or whatever you, you ship it with and push to production and that's it. Uh, for binaries that other people use, I think, I don't think you need to automate right away if you don't want to, but my goal with Go Releaser was to make it so simple that you can also do it if you want because you just you do Go Releaser and that's it. You don't even need to write any YAML for the first releases because it uh, implies everything. It's no code. Yeah, it has kind of sensible defaults, doesn't it? But yeah. you can then configure that if you want to. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, having like that ability to wrap up the uh, the change log as well, that's another feature of Go Releaser that I find particularly useful. Um, because really then what you're doing, what it does is, for anyone not familiar, it goes back and looks at the Git history between the two releases and pulls out the comments. Um, and so that actually gives you quite a good overview of what's changed in that release. It turns out to be quite a good starting place for a change log. So your tool is very uh, practical. It, it sort of addresses really practical things. Do you find that is a good approach generally to software? Is that usually how you approach things? Yeah, I, I would say I try to, to solve practical problems uh, most of the time. Sometimes I find some problems to solve that don't really exist, like every software engineer, I think, when I'm bored. But yeah, I think so. Yeah. So Natalie, what about you? Are you do you tend to go straight for kind of continuous integration, continuous deployment systems? Or would you be comfortable with somebody just deploys it manually for a bit? Yeah, releasing and deploying was generally probably one of the biggest mysteries when I started in my career, let's say. The coding mm. part was always clear for me. Mm-hmm. As much as a, you can have it clear when you come out of university versus a bootcamp, so you know lots of concepts, but then you have to go and put them in practice, and that was surprising. But uh, the part of how actually it's being, like what happens in the life of a project after you finish writing the code at a specific time, let's say, um, has been something that I was in, in the beginning a little bit embarrassed to ask, but, but how do people end up using what I write? And then... You go to the scary DevOps people and like, what do you do? What do you mean, what do I do? <laughs> um, so releasing has never been something that I've done a lot, let's say. Mm. And being a developer advocate is definitely even less on my plate these days because you do lots of projects, you put them on GitHub and then you write a tutorial. <laughs> this is the new way of delivering content. Mm. <laughs> and so... I am here, I guess, to ask more questions about what is new in releasing for those people who actually do use this a lot. Mm. So, Carlos, when you were convincing Johnny to use this, I was also on the being convinced side. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You got your work cut out for you, Carlos. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting, Natalie, you're saying that you're pushing code into GitHub is kind of how you're releasing if it's open source projects and things, especially if they're... Uh, that's different with Go modules because now we are more conscious of actual releases. 
by tagging properly. But that that's the other thing that you think about, like what gives us the confidence to release before we get to that point of feeling like we can push this code out. Why do we do that with any confidence? Um, you know, because that's a big thing. If you release something that then breaks, of course, if, especially if you've got lots of users, that's not good. So what can we do to kind of make sure the release is good before it goes out? I think the first thing is having tests, a lot of tests and running them every time. Hmm. I think this is probably the most important thing because if you are testing, probably something is broken and you you don't know. If you are testing, probably something is broken and you don't know too, but at least other things you might know when they <laughs> break. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think that's the first part. And the other part is not having like a process that is too hard to follow or that has too many moving parts because whenever you need to do a lot of things manually, you're prone to make some mistake and do something wrong. So, yeah. Yeah. And so then with continuous integration and continuous deployment systems, they will often watch the repositories, won't they? So when the pull requests get merged in or when code gets merged into the main branch, that then triggers some operation which can then go and do that release work. And do lots of people use Go Releaser in that context? I think so. I actually created it like with that in mind because mm. if you think about having reproducible builds, uh, my machine is not something like can, that I can easily reproduce. Mm -hmm. uh, so running on CI seems to make more sense, either on CI or on Docker container or something that you you can reproduce easily. So, and if you look into the Gorelizer documentation, there's uh, a topic there about continuous integration, with like uh, configuration examples for Jenkins, uh, GitHub Actions, and a lot of other uh, CI. So I think most people use them on CI, but also a lot of people run locally to test the stuff or uh, sometimes need need to sign something with and you don't want to put the kids there or something like that. Mm. I would say probably the majority of the releases are running on CIs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. The end looking at the documentation, it, it seems like you've you thought a lot about sort of the, the, the entirety of the sort of release process. And even for those who have sort of a cross compile, maybe you need to binary to ship to a Linux environment, Windows environment, and et cetera, et cetera. And the limitations, and I'm not you know, uh, um, throwing shade at you in any way here, right? Uh, under limitations, uh, you punt hard on Seago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's because, honestly, I didn't want to maintain like a Docker image of the everything you need to like cross-compile with Seago to whatever OS people are using. So uh, there are a lot of example, examples like using GrowLizard to cross-compile with Seago and like a lot of Docker images and all that. So I just didn't want to get that into GoReleaser because the scope of GoReleaser, it's already very big. It's already a lot of things to like glue together and make everything work. So I didn't want one more very complex team together in that. But it's not like officially baked into GoReleaser, but you can use it. It does work given the right environments, let's say. Mm -hmm. 
there are some contributions and recipes, if you will, for, for doing that out there, um, which kind of leads me into the sort of uh, the overall sort of the ecosystem, uh, the community around this project. It's got about 7,000 plus stars on uh, GitHub. It's been forked 518 times from what I'm seeing here. I don't think I've ever seen a project of this kind forked so many times. So I'm wondering what folks are doing. Did you build something that is extensible in, 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 in a way that you can sort of add your own sort of capabilities on top of it? Or, or I'm wondering what, what are some of the use cases that you hear about when people fork this project? What, what are they adding to that? I think some of them are probably pull requests and the others, I, I don't really know. I think sometimes people uh, fork it to experiment things. Uh, I've seen some of cases of that, but if they are forking and like growing another go release with different capabilities, I'm, I'm not aware, so I don't know. Let me change the question. What are some of the pull requests or additions that you've seen uh, on that then that you've accepted um, from the community beyond the original features that you developed? Well, for example, these net packages build the signing part also was was contributed by I forgot his name, but he was working on Fabio load balancer I think at the time. Uh, I remember the the Fabio load balancer part, but don't remember his name. And also a lot of bug fixes, small features here and there, and like things like that. So would you, would you would consider this project pretty stable then um, at this point? Yeah. Yeah, I I've been wanting to like get a, a V1 for since I don't know one year or more ago. But <laughs> uh, every time I think now it's stable, I find something that I need to change in the configuration or something like that, and and then I decide to give it more time. So I'm at that point for, for a while. Mm. Ah, it's cool to stay at V0. I mean, look at Terraform. That's, that's been V0 forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to like put a V1 so I can start working on V2 or something like that. I don't know what V2 will look like yet, but I think I would change a couple of things. And, mm. uh, I'm kind of eager to start hacking on that. <laughs> I promised myself to only start when V1 is stable because I don't want another like Python V2 versus Python V3 situation. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that most of the contributions that you're getting are is steady throughout the year or is there any Hacktoberfest spike? Or you see spike like when somebody discovers the tool and then like a group of people support it or no particular behavior in the contributions? I don't think there are any particular behavior. I've seen sometimes a couple of spikes when like some someone famous talk about it on Twitter and then mm. I say spike on stars, for example, but not particularly on pull requests. Sometimes on niches, but pull requests <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, being a maintainer or a creator of such a big open source project, when you go and interview in companies for your next job is this something that employer sees as a good thing because you have such good initiative or is actually something that's potentially offsetting because you might put too much of your time for this what was your experience my experience is that sometimes companies like reach out to me because i have go release and i don't know mm -hmm. if they see my code or whatever but they point to talk with me basically they send contracts your way they skip all the yeah. other stages. <laughs> yeah, more or less, more or less, something like that. Yeah. Cool. For me, it has been good. It's a lot of work, of course, but it's it's nice. Yeah, there is something you get for free when you 
think about like working with somebody that has already an open source project, especially if they founded it, um, because it takes a lot of different things to do that, to go through that process. So you kind of, I understand why people kind of skip the interview process because it's sort of like proven all the main bits that people need. That's why I do always encourage people, especially if you're junior, to get involved if you can in some way in open source, because you never know. And the network that you build, the knowledge that you gain from doing it, and also future opportunities, they're very real. So yeah, I do always encourage that. This is a nice example of that. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but the most I've learned about like programming was reading other people's code. Mm. So <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of code to read for for free, basically on GitHub. Mm. Or... Yeah. So how did it happen then? When you released Go Releaser, um, was it a kind of slow burn, and you had a few people? Was there kind of a quick uptake? Uh, and what's it like managing that process? Uh, Basically, at the time I was working on my first Go project, actually, I was learning Go. I, I wrote like ZSH plugin manager or something like that. And then I was doing a lot of releases and I had a shell script, like I said, and I didn't like it. And then I created another project that I don't remember what it was, but I needed the same scripts basically. So I created Go Releaser, which was basically that ugly shell script in Go with EMO instead of environment variables and flags. And then I just posted it on Reddit and it gets like, I don't remember how many hundred stars in a couple of hours and a lot of fishes and requests. And, mm -hmm. and then it was stable for a while. And then someone famous like start using it. And then there is a spike and stable. Someone famous spike stable. And basically <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And it's lots of different people probably using it in slightly different ways and in different environments and stuff. So I could see how you get a lot of pull requests of that ilk. Yeah. For example, Hugo uses it and, and Hugo uses Sego actually. <laughs> and when Hugo started using it, uh, I think it was, uh, I don't remember the, his name, but I don't know how to pronounce his name also, but his username is at Bep. And he opens a lot of a couple of issues, a couple of pull requests, if I remember, mm. and found a lot of things to improve. And we kind of like hacked something together on a weekend. And then uh, Hugo starts using Go Releaser, and then there was a spike. Mm. I think a lot of it is due to, to Hugo. So. Mm. I didn't realize Hugo used Sego. Yeah. I think because of the SaaS part, if I'm not mistaken, but oh. I might be, <laughs> might be mistaken. I don't remember. That's cool. But there's someone from that project helped with some changes in Go releaser and that then that's, see, yeah. that's really cool as well. It's called cool kind of collab. That's kind of a nice example of open source working where both Go releaser, the project and the other project that's kind of doing the work or helping both are benefiting. I think that's always quite nice. Have there been any challenges with working in, in that open source world? Like some people find it difficult saying no to features, but saying no to features is quite important, isn't it? Are there other challenges that you've found? Yeah, saying no is one of the things. I, uh, on the GoForCon Brazil a couple of years ago, I actually talked a bit about that because saying yes is, is easier, but it comes with a lot of burning to mm. melting whatever you said yes to and once it's in it's 
people will expect it to be there forever, basically. Yeah. And I think that adds up with the other part, which is finding time to do everything you want to do, including open source and other parts of life and all that. That's the hardest thing for sure. And saying no to things helps a bit, but there's still a lot of things that, you know, like bug fixes and things like that, that you should probably work on them anyway. So it's still hard to find time sometimes. Yeah, and it takes real time, it does. And that's also worth remembering for people that use open source projects is the amount of time and effort that goes into them. Um, you know, definitely is great. Uh, so, but generally, has it been quite a positive experience for you then, open source? Yeah, mm. yeah, I would say this. Are the community all usually nice people and pleasant and all that? Yeah, I don't remember uh, having to deal with anyone like because rude or whatever everyone was ever super nice with me so that's great i have a good experience with that so it's nice mm. you mentioned a little bit that um, when you you wrote this basically when you were starting using go and in the beginning you introduced this project as kind of automating everything in my mind automating everything means like automation python right but somehow everything devopsy is actually in go uh, did you choose intentionally Go for this? Did you just use Go because you were using the language at the time? What was your thought process of this choice? I used Go because, for several reasons, because the other languages that uh, I was working with before was basically Java and Ruby, and mm -hmm. neither of them seemed right to me. And my shell script was already very complex, so I kind of wrote really shell script thought. It was meant to release Go project. So I thought it also makes sense to write it in Go. That was basically my thought process at the time. And then you found out Kubernetes and Docker and everything is written in Go and you're like, yes, I made the right choice. <laughs> I knew about that before, actually. Uh, I started as a software engineer, software developer, whatever, many years ago. And for a while I, I was working as DevOps, SRE and all that stuff. This episode is brought to you by LaunchDarkly, feature management for the modern enterprise, power experimentation in production. Here's how it works. LaunchDarkly enables development and operation teams to deploy code at any time. Even if a feature isn't ready to be released to users, wrapping code with feature flags gives you the safety to test new features and infrastructure in your production environments without impacting the wrong end users. When you're ready to release, more widely simply update the feature flag and the changes are made instantaneously by the real-time streaming architecture. Eliminate risk, deliver value, get started for free today at launchdarkly.com. Again, launchdarkly.com. Yeah, so Johnny, when at your place, how do you do releases? How do you manage releases? What does a release mean in your job? Oh, you said about my place. I'm like, at home? Oh, yeah. We were, <laughs> you do releases? <laughs> I release my kids outside all the time. It's fun. Um, <laughs> you semver the breaks. <laughs> well, we have, uh, um, as you'd expect, you know, with a company as large as we are, Salesforce and, and all the, you know, sort of other companies that we've acquired over time, everybody sort of comes in, every team comes in with sort of uh, their own ways 
that are customized, right, for their build pipelines and the things that they need to do. Mm. You throw in there um, compliance things, security things. I mean, these things can get really, really complicated. Um, so in some cases, so a tool as simple as go release releaser um, could work just fine in other cases just doing a go build and getting the executable because you know exactly where it's gonna go how it's gonna run everything you know everything about it you you, you control that environment quite well um, you can go as simple as that the only thing you might need maybe is just a make file to help you with you know um, triggering builds and whatnot so it varies so much like in, in an organization uh, as big as ours so the it's it's one of those things where truly it is because we have access to so much, so many of these tools, it is truly a matter of what is it that I'm building now and how do I need to get it from my computer, right, to where it needs to be running, right? So it's pretty much every, you kind of have to make that decision, sort of, a, you know, you can't ignore that making that decision saying, well, you, we usually do things this way for this particular class of software. We usually do things that way for this particular class of software, right? So there's there's some archetypes, right, that, that we follow, mm. but it, it is, there's no one size fits all. That just can't be. So is each team responsible for their own releasing? Yeah, at at, uh, at Heroku, which I don't think is going to be a surprise for many folks who are familiar with Heroku and how Heroku does things, but uh, um, teams follow sort of a total ownership model, right? They own the software they write, they own the delivery of that software, and they own the operations and health of that software. So if the thing breaks at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're on call, well, your team is responsible for it, so you get up and, and you, you take care of it kind of thing, right? Hmm. And that works. Basically, that's part of the, the Heroku culture. That's something that, that kind of we're, we're proud of. Um, it's not perfect. <laughs> no system, no design, no approach is perfect. Everything has its pros and its cons. But uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, we have, we have our own sort of release tooling. We sort of consume our own uh, dog food as well. So, you know, if, if you're familiar with Heroku at all, you'll know that basically you, you have, there's release pipelines. You can promote things from, from environment to environment and things like that. So we consume our own dog food in a lot of ways too. So, but there's no sort of strict mandate that it be done a particular way. I think there's enough autonomy, there's enough trust uh, within, with each engineering team that, uh, you know, everybody finds, every team finds the right way to release a particular piece of software. Because no two team does exactly the same thing. Some things are common, but it's on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, so is that something you have to push back at against all the time? Or is that just already accepted everywhere? Because it's very common, isn't it, to see these people all doing the same thing and really having that desire to want to solve that once for them, you know? You remind me, I've given a whole talk at uh, QCon on, on the whole sort of... Um, the dangers of introducing or the challenges rather of, of trying to introduce some sort of a common layers right yeah. um, this was in the context of, a, of SRE but basically the, the the challenges of trying to introduce common layers of tooling and practices and things like that across teams especially when when everybody's sort of been releasing software um, their their own way the right the way that makes sense for their teams and what they're building so whenever you need to sort of introduce something that sort of crosses you know um, um, team boundaries um, it can be challenging right because you know teams are often under deadlines and they need to you know ship something and all of a sudden mm. here you are coming and says hey 
how about we settle on Go Releaser, right, for all the things? Um, and then uh, the teams that haven't been, you know, using it or or haven't seen a need for it, now they start looking like, like uh, we've got stuff to ship, man. Like, yeah, we don't need to, like, this our build pipeline right now, it works just fine. We don't need to do that. But here you're like, well, if we do that, we can standardize. Everybody can be using the same thing. It'll be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And then, nope, that's usually not... Not the way it goes, right? And as we all know at this point, it's not always a, te- a technology decision, right? Sometimes it's it's their team dynamics. There's a um, sort of a business requirements. There's there's deadlines. There's features that need to be shipped. There's operational concerns. A lot of cross departmental, like the 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 icky gooey people side of things, kind of often you know is is the barrier, right, to to get you know a, a technology adopted. Yeah, that's amazing to hear that. It's actually really interesting to hear the insights, what it's like there. Um, but it's, I think it's a good lesson. And that you, the thing about you talk about those common layers as well, because that also applies in code with abstractions. Like you could, you know, if you try and do those abstractions too much, you can easily overdo it. Or too early, you can easily do the wrong kind of thing. And Go Release It in a way abstracts some of the other tooling underneath it, doesn't it? So did the design of Go Releaser change much from it when its initial version, you know, over time? Uh, not much, but a couple of times, yes. I remember one particularly big refactory, which was very early on to basically start using context and pass information through context from one uh, pipe to another. It's called pipe internally, like. As upload to S3 as a pipe, building is a pipe. So the pipes talk to each other through mm. a context, basically. Before it was like sequentially calling every pipe, which was in the pipe at the time, but basically calling several functions. And they are, I think they were messing with global uh, variables or something like that. I don't recall correctly. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest one. But I, I think the hardest part about uh, abstractions is actually the interface for the user or in Go Releaser's case, the YAML file, like how the YAML file should look like for mm. Docker, for example. I mentioned Docker particular because I changed it like a hundred times already. And a hundred times is a lot, it's not that much, but I changed it a couple of times. Uh, and that's the hardest part for me at least uh, because other software, like. Docker also changes, and then sometimes the abstraction I made that had a lot of things I thought were granted and are not granted anymore, or something like mm-hmm. that, and then I have to change things. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. You you are abstracting that those concepts, um, yeah. and yeah, that that is a hard thing to do. I mean. You know, to, to do it well is very difficult. And to be honest, I mean, I've been using Go Releaser for a long time. So I don't want people to think that means this thing's changing all the time uh, and not stable. Uh, it really does feel stable. It just kind of works. Um, and I think you'll really like it. If you are releasing Go tools uh, in particular, then it's a very, I can say, very easy, very good. Um, yeah, so that, do you feel like it's settling down then, the, this abstraction? You feel like if you get in there? Yeah, I, I think so. Recently, I think the only only change is like adding more stuff, which is kind of okay. Like for example, uh, Snap has I, we didn't have all the 
configuration possible uh, on our abstraction. So now we are adding more things. Uh, Docker manifest had some changes recently. So also this uh, is like kind of alpha trying to make uh, go or create Docker manifest for you in a easy way that you can also customize the way you want if you need it. Yeah, but it's pretty much stable. Uh, the core parts haven't been changing in years, I think. Hmm. Do you use Go Releaser to release Go Releaser? Yeah, Go Releaser releases itself, which with the version it's built and it's using to release it. I don't know if that makes sense. But the version before. You don't even have to write the code, it just writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, like when they're releasing Go Releaser, it just like run the tests, build, etc., and then it runs like go run main.go and releases itself with the version that's being released. So mm. that, that's it. Oh, it releases itself with itself. It literally, it's not the, yeah. the previous version you have no, installed. It's the version. Well, that's one way to dog food. I suppose if that fails, you know that <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't release that it. That was the idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to make sure it works, it releases itself. So if yeah. something is wrong, it will probably fail at some point. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's so meta, isn't it? It gets that weird. It's like Inception. So what are your recommended best practices for yourself that when you are following when you are doing this release? Surely you developed the whole system over the time. Other than seeing if it fails or not? I think it depends on the project for some things. Yeah, I don't know. I have to think about it. I, I actually don't have like a list of good practices. Do you have some sort of a thing you always do when you release the new version of Go Releaser with Go Releaser? No, I just <laughs> run the tests, which the CI does. And that's it. Not like a celebration. Because you know, if it says something, then if it says it's fine, you know you can trust it. Yeah, it has a lot of tests, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can say I, I can trust it. Um, there are some bugs that uh, sometimes I zip through, and then I add a test for that, and then it's covered for the future versions. That's definitely a serious vouch of confidence. Yeah, yeah, but it has like I think ninety percent of coverage or something like that. Mm. It has what ninety percent of what? Sorry, uh, test coverage. Oh right, right, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting subject um, because a lot of people, obviously, you've got a percentage, you've got a metric, you've got a thing to push towards. What Do you think 100% test coverage is a good idea or not? And if not, why not? That's a trap. It, it, <laughs> watch out, it's a trap. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to undo all those job offers when you say, nah, don't worry about <laughs> testing everything. I don't know. I don't think 100% is something you'll aim for for every project. Mm. I think for libraries, makes sense. But for binaries, for example, some things are very hard to test, like closing files, like handling errors and closing files, for example. It's very hard to test that. So it's very hard. Because of that, it's very hard to get to 100%. So I don't think it's worth like investing that much time just to get 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Has anyone else disagree with that? Maybe we should save this for unpopular opinions. Unpopular. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's just good, good thinking, genuinely. Like, that if the tests give you enough for to give you the confidence, you know, if you over-test, 
and you want to make a tiny change somewhere, you can't. You have to go and then update the tests. And often in that over-tested environment, multiple tests are failing as well because things get very... You, you end up repeating yourself a lot in the test code. So, I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I think get some good... It's, it's really the quality of that test coverage, not just the quantity of it. But, you know, that's... If you could measure confidence on the test suite, I think. That should be the, the not like test coverage itself. The yeah. confidence you have in the test, that, that should be the, what you aim for. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe we could use the cameras to look at the engineer that does the push, see how confident they're looking, Yeah, classify them. It's like, this one looks like a coward. Stop the release. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah I mean? and you can't manually test anything. You just go test and push to production if yeah. it passes. Oh, there you go. That's the confidence. Well, you see, that's it. I mean, but if if your tests are the promises of your project, if they cover all those promises, then you really can do that. You're not saying anything extra. Uh, anything else is undefined. And there are sometimes, you know, you get into problems there where people start to rely on this undefined behavior that's just emerged. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, if you've described your intentions in your test code, you should be able to run the tests and deploy happily. Yeah, that's how I do it. Yeah, I want to pull on a thread because because mm. mm. this is this has been bothering me for some time. Oh no! Not you specifically, Matt. You haven't oh, been bothering this me this time. Um, not for long, at least. Yeah, I got your last <laughs> note. <laughs> I got your but, last email. But, <laughs> but here's the thing, though. For something that is seemingly so quantitative, we do have very qualitative way of measuring it, right? So we talk about sort of a confidence and and tests and. And sort of a, um, how much is, is good enough. Like we can't come out and say, well, it must be 100%, right? And if we say, well, it could be 100%, but some of those tests are so brittle that you might as well not have 100%, right? Mm-hmm. Like all, like a, a vast sort of a, a array of, of reasons why you should or shouldn't or, or, but it's all very subjective, right? Like it's like, what is the confidence level in a test? Well, that's a very human thing right you know my confidence level may be higher than yours right so like what what is what is the should we just get together and decide what our collective sense of confidence should be for something if i told you my very critical to you package right is 50 percent covered with test but i'm very confident in that 50 percent would you put that in your mission critical project <laughs> Yeah, I would, because I trust you, Johnny. <laughs> I would ask you, Johnny. I will release anything you tell me to. <laughs> but I, I would yes. write tests for the behavior that depends on yeah. your library, probably. <laughs> you'd add some tests. So you'd, you'd write the test to, to ensure that my, my, my stuff is, is tested. Or you could open the PRs. That might be the simplest way. Yeah, that's true. Well, actually... If you want to report a bug, a PR with a failing test is a kind of great way to explain that bug. Golden, yeah. Yeah, really cool. If when that's very rare, but when that happens, it's just so great. You just run it, you see the failure. There's no ambiguity in the language because you're talking in code at that point. And uh, yeah, so that's a nice tip. If you can use a failing test to prove your point, please do so. It's even better if you actually have the fix for that failing test as part of the PR. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah, that's true. But sometimes people are using the code in an unexpected way or a, a mm. way that they shouldn't be using it. And it's not really a, that's the thing. It's, it's about kind of 
taking some of that ambiguity away. But yeah, if there's a, mm-hmm. if there's a simple fix for something, then that's the silver bullet, isn't it? Does it mean that when you take a new library that you find, you actually run tests locally before you start integrating it and then running tests for your whole project? Oh, that is a great, that, that is going to put a lot of us to shame. Johnny, <laughs> do, you think, do you run the tests for all your things you import? Look, look, look at how I'm punting this. You can't see it, but on my screen right now, I'm uh-huh. punting over to Carlos. <laughs> Carlos. Uh, so this failing test that you mentioned, where, where would, it, would it be failing? Because you, you took the library, you integrated into your code, you ran your code, you tested your code, not that library, and your code was the one that uh, behaving unexpectedly. So that's how you came to this? Or did you test that library that you imported? Not for obviously everything, but for maybe that one to things that are really important for you in your project yeah so for me i'll say um having the test code in a different package in go which is some some people like to do this some people don't but you can have your test code alongside your normal go code in a different package and that means you're then using that you're using your own go code as an external package so you have to import the package you're using it kind of as a third party is going to use it so in that world the test code and the user's real code is the same kind of environment. And that's one of the advantages of doing that because you are operating very closely to how users are operating. So I was quite like that because uh, it helps also with like, you get to really see the API footprint that you're building, especially if you do TDD stuff and you see the little IDE drop down and tells you all the options. That's a very nice way to get a sense of the API that you're designing and thinking about, is this going to be kind of confusing or easy or whatever? But yeah, the point about the testing, you know, that that's very nice when the user's code looks like your test code because it's, you know, it also allows them to like copy and paste it and things like that. Christian on Slack, go for Slack. And by the way, you can join in the conversation there. Uh, Christian says, Go Releaser is one of my favorite tools in the entire Go ecosystem. Thanks for working on this, Carlos. Thumbs up. Nice. I just thought I'd read that out. It's nice. Yeah, I've got nothing nice to read about anyone else. Sorry. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by our friends at Retool. Retool helps you build internal tools fast and easy. From startups to Fortune 500s, the world's best teams use Retool to power their internal apps. Assemble your app in just a few minutes by dragging and dropping from pre-built components. Connect to most databases or anything with a REST, GraphQL, or gRPC API. Retool empowers you to work with all your data sources seamlessly in one single app. Retool is highly hackable, so you're never limited by what's available out of the box. If you can write it in JavaScript and an API, you can build it in Retool. You can use their cloud service or host it on-prem for yourself. Learn more and try it free at retool.com slash changelog. Again, retool.com slash changelog. So do you actively kind of spread the word about Go Releaser? Do you do anything to try and get people to find out about it? Um, not really. I think the only things I did was right in the beginning, like a post to Reddit, and I made some stickers and like leave it at GoforCon Brazil and some Gomi taps. That was it. Yeah, sometimes I write something about it on my blog, like for about 
new features or things like that. But I never spend much time thinking about marketing or you did it, man. Like the single biggest thing you can do for your project. It doesn't really have to be like finished. It doesn't have to be like you can just have an empty repository. But if you have a good like logo and some <laughs> stickers, <laughs> I mean, my wife designed the, the logo actually. <laughs> That's awesome. Make it a family project, family activity. But yeah, you yeah. give yourself like a good sticker, a good design, a good brand, a good logo. Man, your project's bound to skyrocket, you know? <laughs> yeah, the, the logo helps. I, I think it helps. <laughs> oh, the logo is the little gopher on the rocket. Is that right? Yeah. And your wife did that? <laughs> I, I don't know, because people sometimes like put like a, a, the rocket before releasing or something like that. When yeah, yeah. Talking, and, yeah, that's great. Yeah, but Johnny's right, actually. A logo and a good name. And, you know, go release it. really just tells you what it does. So you can't really argue with that. So, yeah, that does help. Unless you put a pause, an awkward pause in there. Like, uh, I was about to say. release her. Like, oh, that, well, there's, like a, there's a lot of ways you could, you could yeah. misinterpret that. There is a black metal band variant gory lizard oh yeah clash wow them. yeah do you get a lot well, of cross traffic some people are edited that way <laughs> you get a lot of metal fans trying to use go release it and they're like what is this man like but, yeah. you know, metal kind of classic yeah. metal voice why is there some sort of furry animal thing what is this this is not metal yeah, <laughs> yeah. where's it in it screams <laughs> yeah well, that's what happens when you don't have good test coverage. That's where you get your screams from. <laughs> Natalie, you're into metal, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, when you say screams, it, uh, it was a little bit hurting my ear because, uh, you it's know, growling. Thing. I was trying right. to make a joke about hurting the ear and the screams. And yeah. Yeah. I hope yeah. it went across. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've learned our lesson. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Yeah, not screams. Johnny, I think you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos, uh, you, you're the project uh, can be supported by anybody who likes it. And there's several ways to do this, right? There's GitHub sponsors, there's backers, there is the um, open uh, collective, uh, which, well, what can you tell us a little bit about uh, which one is, uh, you like more, you like all of them, How, what's a good way to support for everybody who wants to show their appreciation? Uh, the open collective is mostly like, if you want to support the project itself because that money uh, it's spent mostly like on stickers buying domains and things like that buying domains actually just renewing the only domain it has and if you want to support me as a developer that works on Gory Desert, then i like github sponsors better because i can just like transfer the money to my bank account and do whatever i need or want to do so you can go and buy some personal domains yeah, for other projects <laughs> <laughs> that I won't have time to work on. <laughs> we don't want to get into any tax conversations. Oh, no, please. Uh, you <laughs> and, and you're going to put that on the record in the show. <laughs> Jeez, Matt. GoReleaser.com uh, is the website. So if you want to check it out, it is a very cool website. And you can see the little rocket gopher in there. Well, I'll tell you what, everybody. It's that time again. It's... That special time, time for unpopular opinions. Unpopular opinions. I actually think you should probably leave. Unpopular 
Do you have an unpopular opinion for us, Carlos? I I have a couple, but I don't think they are so unpopular. Mm. Like, for example, I don't think we need generics, but I think oh. this was talked about in the last episode. Mm. Uh, so I will go with the gun mods are great, but I don't think most people will do that V2 folder thing for major bumps or whatever. Mm. I, I think that's, I get it why they ask you to do that, but I don't think people will do it. I, I won't do it for sure because I, it's already hard to keep one version on stable version. Uh, yeah. A lot of stable versions is, sorry, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very interesting. What will you do then if there's a second major version of Go Releaser? Uh, you can just edit your Go mod file and put a slash with you in the end of the the first line, I think. I don't remember the, the keyword there, but just doing that already works. I think the only thing that doesn't work if you do that is uh, other dependency management tools that are not Go modules, but mm. honestly, I don't care that much about that. <laughs> Fair enough. So, you, you know, you're not the only one who thinks along those terms, Carlos. We have we have entire projects that have, rather than going to a V2, <laughs> they've, they've changed names, they've they've rebranded, they've they've created like new vanity domains. I mean, it's it yeah, people yeah. are going out of their way to not have to go with the, the whole V2 thing. They're really pushing the boundaries of Semver there. Like <laughs> this is version one point a billion <laughs> to point two. <laughs> exactly exactly i mean that is a signal um you know to to the go team i guess but yeah th at this point I, I think that that ship um has sailed um you know modules is what it is and you might get some fixes and updates and even features uh, at some point but uh yeah it is the way of the land so mm -hmm. yeah at least we don't need go path src to like Mm. put projects there anymore that that's a good thing for sure well that can be my unpopular opinion then because i really liked that i liked being able to just <laughs> i like just being told where to put things on my hard drive it's one of the things i struggle with in my daily <laughs> life so just be like they were like no you have to have one folder put everything in there i was very happy with that mm. yeah but yeah yeah i i didn't think it was bad either but for new people like new people starting to learn go it was kind of hard to, yeah it was weird wasn't to it? explain that was the hardest part um yeah. basically having to explain imagine trying to teach someone how to program and then having to explain the go path first i mean it was painful really just put put, put the stuff in this folder doesn't take long, <laughs> <Why>? does it? <laughs> Why? Well, Why does it, it doesn't work? I want you to no, Yeah. No, if they're pushing back on that, Johnny, that's a tough class. They're like, why? Why can't I have it in any folder I want? I because know. this is computers and it's rules. You've got, you can't, it's just chaos. You can't just have anything anywhere. Oh, well, Johnny, what I say? <laughs> yeah, that's why, your, that's why your training turned into more of a boot camp, isn't it, Johnny? <laughs> exactly. Okay, I don't want to hear a word out of you maggots. <laughs> yeah, just well, do yeah. it. <laughs> Asking questions. <laughs> That's the approach to GoPath, teaching GoPath, uh, Johnny. But Johnny Borsico.
Yes. Jenny is available to hire for training, by the way, listeners, if you want. It's <laughs> uh, no, true, really jokes is. aside, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really is. No, and he's a great trainer. I don't get any kickback from saying this. He's, <laughs> he's brilliant. I've been in one of his classes, so I do recommend him if you get the opportunity. Um, okay, any other unpopular opinions, everybody? I have one that is a, a little bit related to Go, and it's from Ooh. the uh, reviewing the applications for the diversity scholarship for GoFacon Europe, which just closed um, yesterday. And it also a little bit contradicts a previous popular opinion that I expressed here. Mm. So what I said one of the earlier, uh, one of the previous times was that just try things that even if you're maybe a little bit scared or not sure about. And then um, we saw some surprising applications by people who don't associate themselves with any minority or diversity groups and also have a decently paying jobs and apply for a diversity scholarship. This is an example of something you should not necessarily go for. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Okay, yeah. so what's the night, Johnny? <laughs> I hand all the sensitive ones over to Johnny. Johnny, what do you think about, <laughs> about this really difficult subject? I don't disagree. So... Mm. At the risk of annoying a few people out there, right? It's it's easy to actually. The reason I'll say this is because this is something that that a conversation I've had um, with uh, some colleagues and friends um, recently. Mm. That it's easy to sort of um, feel resentful, right, um, when you see that there are opportunities um, that are sort of uh, being created, uh, opened up, all right, to people who don't look like you, right? Uh, if you happen to be white or male or usually white and male, um, it, it's easy to be resentful. And obviously I've, I've never been a white male, so I wouldn't know exactly how that feels. <laughs> so tough, what I can does. say is that I've been on the other side uh, of that where there hasn't been any opportunities and there hasn't been any sort of, um, any call outs or any, uh, um, sort of uh, doors that, that I could see, that I could even you know, imagine being open, right, um, where that made the journey sort of a, more difficult than it could have been, right? So it's hard to sort of decouple ourselves, right, and this, the, these emotions that we feel, like when we see those opportunities being created that we can't apply for or we can't be a part of or take advantage of because, you know, others are, you know, are, are have basically these things are being created for others, right? It, it's very hard to sort of see that and sort of appreciate it, right? Sometimes, you know, I get that. But for those folks, you know, the only thing I can say is that basically the field's been the way it's been for so long. These efforts are trying to level the playing field, right? We don't all start at the same starting point in life, right? Or in our communities or our, our, our environments, or you don't, we don't all um, start at the same starting point, right? So when you compare yourself to somebody who's so far behind you, you can't even see them or you don't even realize that they're there. This is what these programs are designed to do. They're not giving them uh, an unfair advantage. Um, they're really sort of saying, hey, here's a door that is open that perhaps has never been open for you that if you put in the hard work and effort and, and persistence, you can walk through it, right? It's not a handout. It's not an exclusionary thing. We're not trying to sort of a, a discount from you to give to others. That's not what that's about. It's about creating opportunities that don't appear for a whole class of people that don't look like you, right? So again, it's a very, it's something that you kind of have to look inwards um, for. 
Um, so that's the one thing I'll add to that, you know, only because, again, I'm going to get off my soapbox here, but it's something I've been thinking about recently, um, trying to empathize and put myself in the shoes of people seeing these things and, and trying to, you know, envision, well, if I saw that and they told me I couldn't apply because I'm a white male, how would I feel about that, right? So I just wanted to add kind of a flavor to that and sort of, you know, really just say, hey, I, I, I get it. I, I understand. I recognize it, right? I acknowledge that it's going to feel a little harsh and, and, and sort of unfair, but like look at it from a, from a broader, from a, with a different lens, from a broader perspective. That's it for me. Mm. Well said. Very good. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, couldn't agree more, Johnny. You don't want to get into it too much, but yeah, I think that is what some people think. They see programs that are correcting uh, something and it feels like discriminatory against them. And it's just like, yeah, I think you're right. You have to look at it in a, a bigger picture. Yeah. Very generous of you, though, Johnny, mate. I'd have, I'd have been much more annoyed <laughs> if I was saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? It bugs me, by the way, when people do that. But yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, very diplomatic. Well, I think that might be all the time we have, I'm afraid. Uh, Carlos, thank you so much for joining us. And as Christian on Slack said, thank you for Go Releaser. It's a great tool. Hopefully you'll come back and join us on Go Time another time. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. And Thank thanks you, everyone. Yeah. Thank you. And also Johnny Borsico, Natalie Pistanovic, and I've been Matt Ryan. Yeah, that's thank you. I was going to say it, but you said yeah. it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and by the way, let's just say, um, if, if there's anybody that feels like they're part of a minority in tech that wants to come on Go Time... Get in touch with one of us on Twitter. I will say our Twitter names because we'd love to, if we can help in some way, um, then we'd, we'd love to do that. Uh, I'm at Matt Ryer, M-A-T-R-Y-E-R. Johnny Borsico, what's your Twitter name, mate? I'm at J Borsico, so I'm not going to try and spell it for you. Uh, uh, you can probably <laughs> just uh, look me up uh, um, uh, and uh, click on the link. It'll be easier. How are they going to look you up? <laughs> Just type Johnny and then spend half an hour guessing how to spell Borsico until Google gives you a clue. Exactly. Yeah. Natalie, you can't talk. Pistanovich, come on. No, that's why my handle is at Natalie P-A-S. Yes, absolutely. That there is easy. That is e so here's a trick, though. If you, if you search Golang Johnny, no. I should be at least on the first page. You're, you're Golang Johnny. <laughs> I'm Golang Johnny. You didn't know? That should just be your name. Literally, I'm like the first search result. Oh, go Lang Johnny. It's worth mentioning that there's more than one way of spelling Johnny. Uh. Oh, maybe I should spell that one. J-O-H-N-N-Y. Oh, go Lang Johnny. I can't believe that you're go Lang Johnny, mate. I'm starstruck. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> I feel like you should be in like a, a band in the 20s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Wow, it's amazing. Amazing. Uh, Carlos, what's your Twitter name while we're at it? Uh, mine it's at Carlos with two A's and a zero in the It's okay. very weird. But yeah, yeah. If you, get, if you get no followers, it's your own fault for having a really complicated username. That's a template for your hacker name. Ooh. Yeah, you sure that wasn't your password? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can say my password. No, don't say it. No. <laughs> Text it to my, me. My Text brother. it to me privately. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks everyone. <laughs> See you next time. Thank you for listening to Go Time. We appreciate you spending your time with us. 
If you dig what we're putting out, please do tell a friend about the show. Personal recommendations are the number one way people find new podcasts they love. This episode was hosted by Matt Ryer, produced by Jared Santo, with music by our beat freak in residence, Breakmaster Cylinder. Go Time is brought to you by some awesome sponsors. Check out Fastly, Linode, and LaunchDarkly. Next time on Go Time, Angelica hosts a panel discussion on the trials and tribulations of testing in Go. Stay tuned for that one. It's coming at you next week. <laughs>